0: This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is sponsored by L3Harris Technologies. When the heat is on, you go all in, and L3Harris will be right there with you. The XL Extreme 400p radio is tailor-made to meet the most rigorous fire standards. Learn more at www.l3harris.com forward slash fire. Now let's get in the show.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzow. I am here with Janelle Foskets, my co-captain, editor-in-chief, uh, the kind of the, the wheels behind this machine. Uh, how are you today, Janelle? I'm doing great. How are you? I am great. I, I'm always fired up for this. Obviously, that's probably why you guys have me here because um, uh, we have a real badass in the fire service that nobody knows about it. And I'm kind of embarrassing him right now because... He um, is probably one of the smartest individuals I know, and he's contributed for over 40 years to leadership, to the fire service. Uh, we are very, very honored and, and excited. I'm excited to welcome Chief Randy Brugman. How are you doing, Chief? I'm I'm great, Aaron. How are you? It's good to see you.
2: Again.
1: <laughs> good to see you. So uh, let me tell a little background about Chief and I. Chief, uh, you know, you and I have had some coffee clutches over the last couple of years, and you've helped... Uh, really provide a lot of insight and guidance for me. And so we just decided to take our coffee clutch to this podcast. Um, Cause I always walk away with just a, my head kind of going, wow, that's, you know, it, it's almost like a Forrest Gump approach that you have, I think with the fire <laughs> service and that mama always said uh, things in a way that made me understand. And leadership is something that you uh, are really, really uh, good at and communicating and telling stories. Um, and for those that don't, don't know about Chief Brueggemann, you need to. Um, and hopefully after this, you will go out and uh, listen to his podcast and read his book. Um, but again, I, I, I truly believe that he's one of the, the most intelligent and uh, should be sought after people uh, to uh, present to your departments here. He's served as a fire chief in multiple departments. Lastly was Anaheim. Um, became focused on leadership and managing and and changing uh, organizations. Uh, You're the past president of the IFC and the Center for Public Health Safety Education or Public Safety Education. Uh, You're actually a legend and a badass, specifically uh, inducted into the Hall of Legends, Leaders and Legacies class of 2022 with the National Fire Heritage Center. Uh, You founded the Leadership Crucible Foundation and um, just a generally really good person and uh, mentor. And uh, I, like I said, I'm super excited to have you here. And I know you've been working on this, the Leadership Crucible Foundation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and kind of what has been the the fire behind that?
2: Well, th- thanks, Aaron. Thanks for that really nice introduction. And and I appreciate it. And I really enjoy uh, when we have the opportunity to sit down and just chat. I mean, it, it, I may give you some perspective, but uh, you give me perspective as well. And I appreciate, you know, that, that you're bringing the firehouse back to me. I, I miss, you know, being there, um, you know, being able to sit down with the folks and around the coffee table and hear, you know, wh- what their, what their lives are about. Cause I mean, they're, they're doing great work just like you every day when they're on ships. So I appreciate everything you do and everything that all of our firefighters and, and medics do each and every day. It's a, it's a hard job. And, um, uh, but leadership Crucible foundation, here's kind of what the impetus was for that. You know, I over, I retired in 2018, wrote a couple of textbooks, uh, really focused on, uh, which really helped me to focus on just the leadership aspects of, of our profession. And uh, during that time, I had to do a lot of research, uh, a lot of reading, uh, just kind of following what was going on and trending, what was happening uh, nationally, internationally in our society. And I I found myself growing much, uh, really frustrated uh, with what I was seeing from a leadership perspective in our country, with our politicians. Uh, at the local level, uh, oftentimes local government, uh, and and in business and in, in, in organizations. Uh, just the lack of the ability to do the hard things, to make the right decisions, to look not at a, doing political decisions, but actually making strategic decisions for for our country, for our organizations, and looking at things not in a such a myopic uh, from a tunnel tunnel view standpoint, but actually taking a long-term vision on what's best. And so that really drove me to have some discussions with folks about, you know, what can we do to to, to uh, maybe make a small ripple in this big pond that we have in life and in our world, but what can we do to start to make a difference? And so we created the Leadership Crucible podcast, first uh, to begin to do that. And my focus wasn't on the fire service and it's still not because mm-hmm. leadership transcends, uh, all professions in all walks, all walks of life. So I think of the 22 podcasts that we've done so far 30, we've got eight in, in production now. So of the 30, I've probably interviewed three fire chiefs, uh, and the rest of the people come from just all different professions. And, um, uh, uh, different, uh, backgrounds, different experiences. Uh, but you know, there's a common theme through each, each one of the podcasts and it comes through loud and clear. It's about, uh, the challenges that they have faced, the, the, that have helped to shape who they have become as leaders, uh, and who they've become as people and, you know, kind of how they dealt with overcoming some of those obstacles that they faced uh, when they were growing up. And, and some of these folks have had really challenging uh, environments, uh, but they all came through it with a perspective of wanting to make the world a better place and and uh, do the right things. So uh, I'm really focused on finding those people, telling their story, building some some development training around that, that we can hand off to organizations, school systems, so that, we can maybe have a small impact on the next generation of leaders and leaders like yourself that are coming up to look at things differently, uh, than they're being, than they're being taught today because, you know, we, we often learn off of our, uh, our phones and the internet and things like that. You know, we have about an eight or 10 per 10 second perspective, uh, and we're really losing the ability to have critical thinking and really ask the tough questions. Um,
0: I so was watching the news last night
2: uh, and if you watch, depending upon what news channel you watch, you get different stories, but none of them really delve into uh, and really ask the tough questions. You know, it's all about the spin now and yeah. uh, you know, we've lost the ability to actually challenge uh, our leadership. And as, as a leader, I've been challenged a lot and, and that's that's a good thing. When you're not challenged, uh, th- then you can go rogue, <laughs> right? right? You can yeah. just do whatever you want. Yeah.
1: And the theme that we've had on the podcast too is that leaders need to be, almost get comfortable being uncomfortable. And those questions help you grow as a leader, right? Like you like you said, you want someone to, to, to ask that question because that helps you grow as a leader and it helps you think a little bit differently, right?
2: No, absolutely. You n- you never grow as an individual or as a leader when you're in your comfort zone, you always grow when you're pushed outside of it. And it's for, and it forces you to
0: do things
2: that you hadn't had that you hadn't had to do before, uh, or face issues that, that you haven't faced. So it makes, it challenges you to actually go through that critical thinking process for yourself to determine what's my right path, what's the right path for the organization. And if, if you're, And and we see this in the fire service a lot. Chiefs that have been in the same organization for 10 or 15, 20 years. Organization doesn't change. They're really comfortable with things that, you know, going the way they're going. But the organization and the people in it aren't progressing. And so, you know, if you're not pushing the envelope, I mean, that's, that's, I've always thought that one of my roles was to always push the envelope as a leader in the organization. And, and, um, you know, I think that's, that helps people be, to become, I think it helps the organization to become more progressive and innovative. And I think it does uh, for the individuals that work in it as well.
0: Well, it's interesting because it, it underscores the idea of the problem with surrounding yourself with the so-called yes men, right? Mm-hmm. If you surround yourself with yes men, you're never going to get pushed. You're never going to get challenged. No, you know, And everything's just going to stay status quo forever. Not necessarily getting better, but potentially getting worse. Yeah.
2: Well, I, yeah, I, I, totally agree. And I mean, one of the, one of the the key attributes of good leadership is you always surround yourself with people that are smarter than you are. And so, you know, I, I never professed to be a great operations person, a great EMS person, uh, you know, a great finance person, but I always got people or, or attracted people or went out and found them that had that area of expertise that I didn't have. My expertise, I think, is looking at things strategically, looking at at the future, being able to kind of wrangle everybody together and get them focused and moving forward. But it's not those individual uh, elements of the organization. And so, so often I've seen so many chiefs, they just get focused on, they come from the operational side and that's all they know. Uh, well, I came from the operational side, but I, I, and, you know, I don't know if I was very good at it, but I came from the operational side. Uh, but I, I quickly realized that my role wasn't operations. My role wasn't, you know, EMS. My role was to, to be at 25,000 feet all the time, looking at where, where we're going, you know, how we're going to land the plane when it's, uh, when it's rough and then how we're going to get to where we need to get in the next five, 10, 15 years and position the organization to do that. And so a lot of chiefs get really mired in where they've come from. They can't get out of it. Um, and, um, and so they just kind of fall into the same trap of, you know, what they've always done. And unfortunately, a lot of our organizations today in, in the fire and emergency services are kind of, kind of in that rut. And you know that's part of what what we need to get them out of uh, because of the, the 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 change process in the next uh, twenty or thirty years, which we've talked about a lot. Uh, Aaron is is uh, going to revolutionize what, how we do business. Uh, and, and do you
1: think too? A lot of times, you know, going back to the fire service, you and I have had this conversation that you know, a chief says, "Ah, oh, my desk doesn't have a lot of complaints on it." Well, it's hard to get a complaint when the door's closed. Yeah, and and you isolate yourself to the people that you you want to hear from and and janelle mentioned the yes men and and one thing i i didn't mention uh also i mean you've been in the fire service for 40 years 40 years and i like to say you're still in it because i like to try to keep you in it by (laughs) picking your head as much as i can but you wrote uh the advanced fire and emergency services administration book now most people look at me and go yeah that doesn't it's not a real sexy title and you know i would agree with that but um I was telling Janelle, even before this, I said, you know, uh, you know, chief gave me a copy of his book and I started reading it. And, um, there are pictures in there, of course, for all our listeners that are wondering because yes, that's what kept me going. Um, and, and honestly, there's a lot of stuff that you and I, and I've been, been advantageous to have you in front of me, but you know, you talk about how you change that culture, how you, uh, as a chief or even as a, a leader of your crew, how you make an impact with, A, you talk about community, B, you talk about, um, you know, being a better a listener and being able to connect. Um, you know, as far as the fire service, and I, and I know we talked uh, about, you know, in general leadership, but what do you think we're missing in the fire service from a, a leadership standpoint, even beyond what the rest of society is?
2: Uh, you know, I think one of the things I don't know if it's missing, I, I just don't know if we utilize it fully. And, you know, we get really, it's, it's really easy for us to get focused on what happens day to day, right? I mean, our, uh, we, we're a mission critical service. And, and so we have got to be focused on, you know, um, when that, when that alarm goes off, that, that our people are ready to respond. Uh, we've got the right equipment, right training right staffing levels, right staff uh, to, to, you know, to pull off, you know, the events that we go to every day. And so it gets us really, I think really focused on, on that piece of it. But I think, you know, as we look, we, as we look to the, to where the fire and emergency services is going, uh, there's a different, I I think a different mindset that you need to to take into that discussion. And that is how's it going to change? You know, one of the things in the twenty-first century report, which we one of the eight critical issues was re-identification. And if I if I had to do that over again after the last three years, I would I would retitle that to reimagine. Reimagine the fire service. Yeah. Because yeah. after you know, you talked about, you know, the, the the textbook and all that and just the research and going out and speaking with people and watching just the evolution of technology and data just in the last three years, it's been incredible. Mm -hmm. And so it's really going to change the way that we conduct and and operate our business in the next 10, 15, 20 years dramatically. So we have to reimagine what that's going to look like. And if you think about our organizations today, uh, we do everything off of a big red fire truck with four people. Uh, and if, if that's your vision of the future, hang on, because there's going to be big red fire trucks with four people, but instead of having 30 of them in your community, you're going to have 10, you know, it's going to change. I mean, it's just going to change. And because we're already seeing an evolution of service demand, uh, I mean, every organization that's running EMS, That's about 75 to 85% of their call volume. And if you really drill drill down on those EMS calls, about 30% of those are true emergencies where you need that, those paramedics, uh, the rest of its behavioral health, uh, social service work, it's connecting the dots with people in the field that, you know, uh, you know, don't know how to connect with services often. So, I mean, it's a, it's an important element, uh, for us. Uh, but, uh, we're, 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 still focused on doing everything from a 19, uh, 1980 emergency. Uh, if you remember the old show emergency, that's, I mean, that was the impetus of where, where we're at today was trauma, trauma related yeah. stuff. And we still deal with that and we need to have, be able to deal with that, but it's a small portion of what we do. So we have to, we have to be able to evolve with that. And part of that is, I guess the, the other piece of the, uh, uh, the, the the pie here, I think there's three really critical pieces: reimagining what we're to become, and I think secondly is our culture, and we have to start building a culture that's much more adept and adaptable for the future. And so we need to be having those conversations in our organizations today about, you know, you know, folks, what we're doing today is not going to sustain us in the future. And so as we reimagine what we're going to be. Uh, let's let's collectively, you know, not only not just the chiefs, but the, the rank and file, get everybody together and start talking about what's that going to look like? What do we need to do? What and how do we get there uh, so that it's not only everything's out on the table, but it's it, everything is understood. And I think a lot of times our, our folks that are sitting on engine eight, you know, uh, they're not getting that big picture discussion and dialogue and they need they need to have it. Uh, because, uh, you know, our profession is going to change. And I think, I think we have to realize that that leads into kind of the third element. And that is how do we sustain ourselves long-term? And I think we're really in a unique position uh, in the fire and emergency services, because number one, we're the most trusted profession in the world. And so we should use that to our advantage and how we use that to our advantage. We'll say, we're going to take over, uh and we're going to bring we don't have to take it over but we're going to bring under our umbrella all of the all of the other ancillary services that we call upon every day and we're going to facilitate a community risk reduction strategy that's holistic and it's not just focused on fire and ems and you know if we do that uh you know we'll have social services we'll have behavioral health services we'll have other resources under our operational control where we're really looking at the big picture and connecting the dots. And we'll be able to do that much better with the data utilization that uh, we have today. And we'll make a great impact on creating a high level of community resiliency. But to do that, we're going to have to change our mindset.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned in the book, and you and I have had this great conversation about this, you know, you mentioned like Kodak, Kodiak, Kodak. Kodak different company kodak and petscom and some of these that they didn't right these companies didn't change and evolve and they're no longer in existence and people think well that'll never happen with the fire service well uh, we can't be so sure of that because we're even seeing that with recruitment right you and I have talked about it that's yeah. where we're starting to see it first recruitment is such a huge issue um, and you had and you've actually interviewed someone on on your podcast about you know what what a what direction we need to go with that even. And you want to elaborate on that a little bit also? I thought that was brilliant,
0: by the way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I think the pathway program, I think, and we're seeing the pat. Uh, I'll just tell you the short story. Uh, Clayton County, Georgia, uh, Chief Landry Murkison, who is now the chief de- uh, operational deputy for the entire county. They, they He was he was uh, such a good, great leader, and he is, that they moved him up. <laughs> yeah. And so... Uh, but he realized that uh, his workforce wasn't reflective of their community. Uh, And uh, so he created a pathway uh, program with the high school to actually bring in high school students uh, to look at the different professions that exist in public safety. Initially it was designed for public safety. So police, fire, dispatching services, EMS, things like that. And so they would, the first year they would just explore all of those. By the time they got into their sophomore year, they had to either choose out or choose a path. And those that chose fire service then went into training with their personnel, uh, for the next three years. So when they came out of high school, they were certified hazmat technicians, certified EMTs. Uh, they had to go to two weeks of school after they graduated high school, uh, to get their firefighter one. Because they had already had all the other training, they just couldn't take the fire training. And so, when they walked across the, uh, the to graduate high school, they got a high school diploma, uh, diploma, and a job offer. And what, I, I, which is just incredibly, and now that's gone to I think six or seven high schools in his area, mm-hmm. so it's expanded out. So it's just a model program. But here's the most important, two most important things. One is he's he's driving. Um, his workforce directly from his community. Number one, and he, and he has very poor areas in his community. And so he said a lot of these kids, the soon, as soon as they came into being part of the fire service became the number one breadwinner in their family. And it changed the entire economic, uh, dynamic, uh, of that home. The other thing it did is it's showing that the kids around them, and we're having big issues with our young people today in a lot of our urban areas, that they too can actually track in a way that's very positive And at the end of the day, actually have employment. And, uh, so just an incredible, uh, incredible process, but I'm hearing that too from other industries as I've, as I've talked with, uh, folks, uh, from Pierce and, and, and Darley and, and other folks that are,
0: you know, really struggling
2: to get those uh, really high quality, uh, technicians that, and craftsmen to help build things. Uh, they're looking at how they, how, how they can create pathways, uh, into their own organizations so that they can sustain themselves in the future. So, you know, I think it's, uh, it's just a, a, it's kind of a microcosm of, of what's going on in our society today. Uh, and the lack of focus on, uh, being able to do certain things, uh, trades are a big issue right now. And so I think we f- need to find a balance from a society standpoint, because frankly, everybody can go out and get a, a four year degree. Uh, but you know, uh, you, you, you may not be able to find a job. Yeah. You know, what's
1: it get you then after that, other than yeah. some debt, you know? Yeah. yeah.
2: So I think, you know, and I think, you know, we, and I, and I, and I mean, I've probably been part of it, you know, all, all of our kids went to college and all of that, because that was a real focus for us. But I mean, just look at the lack of people that are going into the trades that, uh, and, and, and they can make as much, if not more than people that are, you know, going to college. So I think you just have to follow your passion.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting because right now we are in the data analysis phase of the What Firefighters Want survey related to stress and staffing, recruitment, retention, how all of these issues uh, interconnect. And you know just a quick little teaser here, but uh, one, of the, one of the points that we're finding uh, related to recruitment is it's pretty shocking the number of departments that are doing literally nothing in terms of programs to entice members. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about the issue, but only a percent, you know, not a huge percentage are really taking advantage of all the tools at their disposal and thinking big picture and strategically about what the future of their organization is going to look like because they're kind of just doing the same old thing, if anything, really, because for so long, you know, there was just a, a line out the door of people who wanted to work for the fire service and no one had to do anything proactively. And now it's the opposite. And so it, it, it was pretty amazing to see some of those stats. Um, so we'll be we'll be unpacking those in the next few weeks.
2: Well, I think I think that there's two 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 really key points there. One is that's uh, gets back to the previous discussion we just had about, the, you know, I'm just minding this door. Uh, you know, I'm out of here in three to five years, I'm going to retire. So what, why should I worry about year six, seven, eight, ten? And unfortunately, a lot of folks in our profession uh, bring that attitude, not everybody, but there's a lot that are just kind of hanging out. I came from the operational side, so I'm just going to be operational focused for the next five years. And then I'm going to I'm gonna, you know, punch my ticket and and retire. Uh, so they're not looking looking down the road. That's unfortunate for many many organizations. The other piece I think is just the generational shift that we're seeing, especially with Gen Z uh, coming into the workforce now. They, I think, they're are almost a third of our workforce, and that's going to increase every year for the next decade. So they will become in the next decade uh, our our majority of the workforce uh, in, in in this country probably worldwide. And they bring a different perspective. Uh, number one is they're probably not going to be 30 and out. Uh, they'll they'll probably be seven and eight and out. Um, they're, they're going to move jobs more, more readily than we did. And, uh, but the other thing I I think it's it's interesting is they're, they're looking at how we do business and, and a lot of them don't want to come into our business because of the, the shift work, uh, and the exposure to all of the stuff that we get exposed to every day. And they're going, why should I do that? Uh, why should I work 24 or 48 hours, um, and be away from my family? I want work life balance. And so that, that doesn't really provide it. And I don't really know why I have to get exposed to all that stuff. Um, and it, it, you know, it's, it, it pays not that, that good. <laughs> uh, and so it's, I think it's gonna, it's an interesting time, but, uh, Janelle, I think you bring up a really great point is that we're just doing business the way we've always done business and, but the world around us is changing. And I think that was kind of the focus of the 21st century report was to get people to talking about, you know, wh- what's it going to look like, uh, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. And I think for many chiefs, and if you're a chief listening to this, you need to start looking at how you position your organization today for the next 10 years out. If you're not doing that, you're not doing your job, and then you ought to just hang it up and give it to somebody that'll do it. Um, Yeah. Because it's gonna change so quickly, you're not gonna have time to react. If you're not, you probably won't ever be at the forefront of change from here on out because it's exponentially increasing so quickly. But if you're sitting back doing the same thing that you did 10 years ago and think that's going to carry you forward, you're going to bury your organization.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to mention real quick, we, we do have, we'll put the the link to the report in the show notes for the 21st century fire and emergency services. Uh, You co-chaired that project with the CPSC and just want to read through these real quick in terms of the, those critical issues you mentioned, re identification, maybe now better thought of as reimagining mm-hmm. um, culture, which you mentioned, uh, robust use of data, health and wellness, partnerships, sustainability, technology, and inclusiveness, and how all of those interconnect to really, you know, that's what chiefs and leaders, I should say, uh, need to be thinking about the intersection of all of these factors and where their department stands with each one of those points?
2: Well, uh, getting back to Clayton County, and again, a, a shout out to, to Chief Murkison, but he, he took these eight issues and he rolled those into his strategic plan. And what was really fascinating to me, he called up and said, he's, he, uh, he said, you won't believe this, but he said the county's picked it up and they rolled it into their strategic plan. And so I don't know if we hit on the right... Eight issues for the future. I think they are really, really important issues. But I've had several uh chief executives from other professions call and say, Well, I don't know, this is like I if you change fire service to attorneys, or if you change fire service to whatever, these are the same things we're talking about. And so I think we may have hit on on some of the topical issues that I think most organizations are, are facing today. And, um, so, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we have such great people in the fire and emergency services, but sometimes they are so reticent to change, uh, and, and pushing the envelope and getting outside of their comfort zone that it really, I think as we get farther into the 21st century, um, It's going to place us in a position if we don't change that mindset uh, of looking much differently. Because, frankly, uh, you know, if a city manager called me today and said, I'm going to build a city of 250,000 people. And we're going to do it in the next three years. And I want you to come in and design our deployment package and fire and emergency services. And you don't have to do what we've always done. If you had the opportunity to do that, what would it look like? I can tell you it'd look a lot different than what we're doing today.
1: (laughs) Well, and that brings me to a good question. You and I've had this great discussion. I go back to a lot of these discussions because I've been so excited to get them on the podcast about, um, you know, you mentioned one, three, five year plans and having a plan and then what's the next step of, of that? So you, you say, Hey, this is where I think the organization needs to go. What's the next step for a chief? If they're listening, and even a, a lieutenant, you don't have to be a chief. I mean, even your own personal self, you can utilize the same thing. Like, have some vision, one, three, five. But if you're a chief if, sitting in, in, a, in a, a town or a, you know a municipality, you create, you sit down, you say, this is where I think we need to go. This is where we are. What's your next step then after that?
2: Well, I think the first step when you say, I'm going to build a strategic plan is you say, I'm going to build a three or five year strategic plan and you engage your staff, your employees, and you engage the community. You know, oftentimes we build plans in our organizations that are uh, built just around what we think. And when you actually go out and bring the community in and, and involve them in helping to design... Uh, what you're to become, uh, you get a bit different perspective, so I think that's rule number one is is make it a holistic event. don't no, don't make it five chiefs sitting in a room, you know, just regurgitating the same thing where they'd come from because um, you know that doesn't work or yeah, we also
1: yeah, we find that that plan doesn't go very far because if if part of that plan falls on their desk and they're comfortable with just where they're at, that it's not gonna go anywhere, right yeah.
2: But I think I, I think on the strategic plan, there's a couple of things. One is, uh, and I and I'm sure I drove my staff crazy uh, doing this. But I, I, everything in the strategic plan uh, had goals and objectives built around it, and uh, we would meet every four to five weeks, and I would make them report out. What what do you, what, what what's in, Not not everything was in play, but I would say where where are we at with things that are in play so that I would keep them focused on meeting those objectives. I also would always take the update of the strategic plan back to the city council and the city manager or mm-hmm. whoever you work for every year, uh, and re reintroduce it to them saying, here's what, here's how far we've gotten this past year, because number one, if, if we're focused on it day to day, they're focused on it annually, uh, and seeing what, what the objectives, what have been met and, uh, in tying that back to your budget, then it just all kind of integrates. And then it really helps to drive the organization. And, uh, so that I found that to be very, very successful in the last uh, three organizations that I worked in, but it takes, a, it, it does, it does take a lot of energy to do that. But the end result is, um, Uh, you, you really get, I think a holistic buy-in from your elected officials. There's no surprises from them Uh, coming in and going, I need three fire trucks, or I need this, or I need that. Well, that was part of the plan. You guys adopted the plan. We've been talking about it for four years, so they can't go. I've never heard of that before. And your employees the same way, you know, we've been talking about this. This is where we're going. You helped to build this plan. Uh, So, um, and then also your staff, they know what to focus on. So
1: how do you get your staff to buy in? How do you get, you know, that front end person to buy into that then?
2: Uh, uh, Staff wise. Yeah. Well, I think staff wise, uh, you know, when you're, you're the chief, you can bring your, at least your senior staff, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, even like front end, you got someone down on the field, you know, sometimes they're like, ah, you know, administration, this and this and that, like, how do you kind of connect with that person and make them feel part of this?
2: Well, I mean, the way the way the way that I've done that is to actually invite them to help build it, mm-hmm. uh, and but that doesn't mean that they're still going to support it. I mean, one of the things about firefighters is, you know, they'll be in the room to help build it, Then they'll go back out in the fire station and bitch about it. Yeah, yeah, right. And we hate
1: two things: the way it is and
2: change. Yeah, and, and that's okay. I mean, that's I mean they they had a they had it bite at the apple. Uh, you know, they help build it. Uh, they, they probably understand. And that's not all of them. I mean, some of them will do that. Uh, and, and, but, you know, you still have to engage, you still have to always want to engage them. And I think just periodically, I mean, as you go around and do your station visits or you're on the shop floor or whatever business you're in, right. And and you're talking to your folks, you always want to talk about what you're doing. Uh, you know, what's going on with you, but you know, also here's what we're doing. And here's where we're at strategically, and this is what we're what we're doing, and here's what we're planning to do for next year. And you know, it's really important to keep everybody uh, on the same page. You know, it's kind of that uh, that that four P. What is it? Uh, purpose, plan, part, picture. So if everybody knows what the purpose is, and that's kind of your strategic plan, and, and they know what their part is, you know, how do you make an an impact on that? What's your role in that? And, and then what is it going to, what's going to look like when we get to the end, uh, you know, what, what are we trying to achieve? And, and then the plan is the plan, right? So if everybody ha- is kind of operating off of the same dialogue, it, it just makes it a lot easier. Um, it doesn't mean that you, you don't get over it. There's going to be some folks, you know, there's always the resistors and the refusers and in any organization that they're, they're going to go out You know, chief's crazy, but he didn't know what he's doing and she doesn't know what she's doing and all that stuff. And you just got to go, well, that's fine. Well, we're still going this way. So you just have to, you know, engage them, embrace them, hope they'll come on board. But you got to keep moving the ship forward. Well, at least they
1: know what direction, right? Like my mom always says people are going to get their undies in a bundle about a lot of different things. But if you know that they're going, you know, what direction you're going, that helps, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And if they've been involved in it too, right? Exactly.
0: I think there's a component to the a very foundational piece. It's just if you're building trust with the organization all along, you set that foundation. And then on top of that, you're communicating, you're asking for participation that further builds the trust. And like you said, there's always going to be the active resistors, but when we're talking about the majority of the organization, you know, keeping them in the loop, I think that people just want to feel included in a lot of ways. And so even if they're not at the table per se, but keeping them apprised of directions and the why, understanding the purpose and the why, then then it's all about accountability and ownership. And yeah. I, I think those are the major themes that we're talking about here.
2: Yeah, when the, when we in Anaheim, uh, we were looking at doing a nurse practitioner program and putting a nurse practitioner in the field with a medic, and we went down... And, actually sat down, uh, our, you know, senior staff with some, uh, some union representatives to go down and kick the tires in Mesa, Arizona. And, uh, came back, said, that's, that's a pretty good program. Um, uh, might, might work. So we went through the whole process, took a, it took about two and a half years to get through the state process. Cause we were the first ones in the state to do this. And, and so there was some heavy lifting to do it. And then we introduced it and, uh, You know, uh, a lot of people were just adamantly opposed uh, to it, you know, it's just something different, right? And, uh, but after about a year, year and a half, and they were starting to see, you know, these, these calls that were that, uh, you know, suppression units were being called to that they really couldn't do anything other than just take somebody to the hospital, but they really didn't need to go to the hospital and the nurse practitioner could come in and actually provide a service. not have them transported or connect the dots to the resources that uh, the folks needed to meet. And it's just like the community paramedicine program here, the CARES program in Madison, and many others throughout the country. Uh, but th- those those kind of programs are not received well when they're first launched, because it's change, <laughs> and uh, you know fire fire and emergency services doesn't like change. Uh, they just don't like anybody moving their cheese around, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yep. you know, cheese, and got, coffee, a,
1: whatever it might be. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, and
2: I've, and I've got a theory about that. I don't know if it's correct or not, but you know, our firefighters and our, and our paramedics, they, you know, every day they're called 10, 12 times and they never know what they're going out the door to. And so that they're, they're facing change all the time. Uh, every call is a change and, and they have to adapt and overcome. And so my my I guess my theory is the the last thing they want to do is come back to the firehouse and have change. Because they deal with change in the field from an emergency standpoint all the time. But when you come back, you kind of want, oh, this is my comfort zone, right? This, so is, my area, this is my area of respite. And so don't don't jack with it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I get that, but I mean, there, there, and so I think we just have to look at it from a, you know, psychological standpoint of how we introduce that change. I was not real good at that, by the way. I think if I would have, if I do it today, I probably would do it different than I did, you know, five, five, 10 years ago. Um, you know, I'd probably be, be more um, sympathetic uh, with that. But, you know, I've thought a lot about this and I think there's, there, I think there is some reality to that. Uh, you know, just being a firefighter coming up, I didn't really think about it at the time. Um, but, you know, having the resistance as I've gone through as a chief for 27 years in different organizations and facing that in every organization, I think some of that has to deal with what, what our firefighters and medics deal with every day. Uh, and that is the, you know, consistency of, I don't know what I'm going to next. Um, uh, but also there's a, there's a, there's another part of that is that, um uh, uh, we just don't, we just don't want to change cause you're introducing it, <laughs> right?
0: That's
1: sometimes the case. It all depends on, you know, who's introducing it, what time and, you know, what's the, what's the motivation behind this, right? Yeah, you know, right. um, so there's a lot to it. I, I think that's a really good theory and maybe that's why we're so reluctant to get rid of shifts or 24 hours is cause in, in that 24 hours, I'm, you know, I, there is that stability of the firehouse. Yeah. There. You know. Um, yeah, but I think if we look at and,
2: and I know you're really, really, really big into the health, health and safety piece, but if you look at the research on sleep deprivation, sleep disruption, all of those things, I would think our firefighters would be saying, "Get me off of this 24-hour shift." It
1: it's starting to change a little <laughs> bit. I think as the research keeps coming out and as you know the 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 data you know, uh, it is so glaringly obvious that I think, yeah. um, you know, it's it's there's going to be a pretty big movement here the next, I believe, uh, one to three years. I'm already, you know, personally, I get some people asking about well, what's one of the healthier shift options. Um, so I think you'll see that's part of that. And, it, and of course, this, this goes back to everything you talked about. We need to embrace the data. We need to also look at how can we more effectively help our our members and then still meet the service of the community. And then now you throw in this, how can we stay consistent and keep our culture? I mean, it, it's a challenge, but if you're not a leader willing to embrace that, like you said, you just kind of stay stagnant. And let me roll that into this question too. If you are um, listening to this, right? If you're a firefighter, it doesn't matter. Like what are the three things you would you would do if you had to do it all over again? what are the three things you would start to do personally? Where would you focus? What would you read?
2: You know? Well, I I think the first thing I would focus on, if you're a, a, you know, a young firefighter and and if you don't have a, if you don't have your own, uh, one, three and five year game plan, then that's where you start. You start there. Um, you need to educate yourself. Uh, and, and get an education that is outside of the fire service. Uh, we're going to teach you how to do the fire stuff and the EMS stuff, right? You you don't need a degree in. Uh, I mean, after an associate's degree, you don't need a degree in fire administration. And you don't. This is just my opinion. Um, I mean, it's okay, but you need to have that outside perspective. You need to you need to find out about how to run a business and you know what's you know the financial management, personnel management. Uh, Those are the pieces. It's not about, you know, uh, how how to so much run a fire department. It's about that bigger picture. And read, you know, one of the things I put in the in the newsletter that I write every month is readers are leaders. And read, uh, read constantly, but read things that are outside of your profession. Right.
1: Or in your profession that you don't necessarily think would give you anything. Right. Like I'm I'm not an administrator at this point, but man, oh, man, I'm getting a ton from this. Right. Like you're saying, like.
0: And don't don't sell yourself short, Aaron. You said you couldn't put that book down. It's not just the pictures. (laughs) There's
1: there's great
2: stuff in there, actually. Well, you know, you know, when I when I laid this text out because I thought it was just going to be an update. And then as I I looked at the first uh, edition of this, I went, boy, this 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 first edition is really bad. Uh, but there had been so much change in the last 10 years that it was like starting over. And so when I had to start over, I said, I want to write this, uh, to really plant the seeds to, in folks like Aaron to look at things differently. And so hopefully that's come through throughout the text. Um, and, um, you know, that was kind of part of the mission was to meet the, the fesci guidelines for you know, getting, uh, you know, getting your appropriate schooling, um, you know, in your, in your degree and all that stuff. But it was also about just, you know, planting those seeds of, uh, of change uh, throughout the text and getting people to start to think about things that they probably hadn't have thought of before. Uh, and a lot of the past administrative texts were just the regurgitation of, you know, what we do. And, um, I, I kind of wanted to push that envelope a little bit.
1: So education, look at things differently, right. For, for those, you know, new leaders or new people in the fire service. And, you know, I kind of got you off track with the, with, with the book, with the but book. I think it all, it plays yeah. all into it. Right. Like what, what would be another thing?
2: Um, you know, I think another thing for me, that's, uh, probably really helped my career is find mentors. Uh, you know I was really fortunate uh, I was running a you know I I was I've shared this with Aaron but I started a, with a couple other guys when I was in Fort Collins a, a video based business to to actually we did the first video based training system that was college accredited in 1984 or something like that 1985 on beta and, yeah <laughs> on beta and Ron Coleman was our first guest and uh, Ron became my mentor. I went out and found him. Uh, but I found other mentors that, uh, and reached out to them. Alan Bruncini was one, there were i th- I've got three or four Ray Picard. He's, he's passed away now, but I had three or four mentors that I reached out to and formally asked them, I want you to, would you be my mentor? And, and, um, and they all agreed, but it was really, it was really powerful for me because I, you, when you face things, whether you're a lieutenant, a captain, a battalion chief, uh, or the, or the, one of the, the senior leaders in your organization, you're going to run across things that you might not have faced. And so if you've got mentors that you can reach out to and go, like, hey, have you ever, ever run across this? <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, invariably, uh, each one of them would say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah I've done that. Yeah, I've, I've done this. And, and they, they would share with it with you, their perspective, they wouldn't tell you, well, this is how you should do it. They would just say, you might want to think about some of these things. Here's some of the the pitfalls. I ran into something like that. And I did, I did it this way. didn't totally work out well. So again, just having that outside perspective, critical. Um, And it gives you some, I think, some perspective. So get a get two or three mentors and get them from different professions if you can, because again, that's different perspectives. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's the rule of life today, I think, is you need to have different perspectives because of just, you know, how fast the world's changing.
1: Yeah. And we could get comfortable, right? Like, um, you know, it's very easy to get comfortable and stay there. And, and that's why uh, it's a perfect segue for me to say, thank you for being a mentor for me. And the other thing that I, I asked you, cause you um, talked about You know, when you came into a new uh, city or or community, you'd always try to reach out to uh, the the leaders within that community to help be on an advisory board for you. They never said no. And every time I I ask you for uh, you know to meet for coffee or or breakfast, you're you're yep, this time works. Even though you you know you're you're busy interviewing, I think like the CEO of Disney and some of these uh, world renowned people, you still uh, make time to to meet me and and you even bought me breakfast last time. So I, I owe you this next time for sure. Um, so thank you so much for this insight, chief. Uh, we could go on for hours and, and, um, and I hope we will we'll get another opportunity to do that. I mean, I know you and I will be personally, what we, what we do at the end of the podcast though, is we try to lighten it up a little bit, make it a little bit more real. And we uh, put you in what we call the hot seat where we ask some questions, uh, it, they're they're varied. Uh, a lot of times Janelle's mom and my mom help come up with them and other people that we know.
2: Oh, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Moms so, are involved.
1: <laughs> well, uh, uh, there are two. They were our two listeners. Now, I found one yesterday. We have three listeners to the podcast. Uh, so we're going to throw you in the hot seat and ask you some questions. And Janelle's going to start it off. She's got some good ones for us today.
0: All right. So I learned something new about you earlier today that you're a drummer, and I would like to know your favorite drummer.
2: Uh, well, I really have, uh, I guess my favorite drummer is Danny uh, hes He was the original drummer in Chicago. Uh, and uh, I grew up, uh, I mean, we were, he's probably just a couple years older than me, but I grew up when I was in high school listening to him. Uh, when they first came out uh, in the late sixties. And so, and so I followed them, you know, for, for my entire life, I've seen them probably seven or eight times. And then I had the opportunity to actually meet him um, when I was in Anaheim and, and spend about an hour with him before he was doing a show. And then we got to go Uh, up and watch him play on stage for about an hour and a half. So it was just a real treat for me. But he's always been my favorite drummer. I do have another really good friend who's a drummer, famous drummer, uh, named Bernard Purdy. Uh, Bernard played with uh, many, many uh, uh, groups. Uh, He was a, you know, kind of a, 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 he just kind of floated around and played with a lot of different uh, famous people. But uh, Bernard is uh, just a really, class guy and just uh, known him for probably 10 years now so those two guys definitely would be on the list
0: that's awesome are we gonna see you on the circuit is this gonna be your new thing
2: no around, I, would playing love drums. Love to, I would love to be on the circuit uh, <laughs> but uh you know it's uh'm I'm, I'm not a bad drummer uh you know I've got three sets downstairs so if one's not working I just move to the other one <laughs> you got a direct connect with a company too do
1: you not uh,
2: well, yeah, one of the, the two of the guys that I uh, interviewed on, on, on my podcast were uh, John Good and uh, Don Lombardi. And Don Lombardi was the original founder of DW Drums in Oxnard, California. And uh, he started out, uh, it was called Drumworks, and that's DW. Uh, and it was a small shop in Santa Monica. It was just him, and he was doing lessons. And Don was a, a pretty good drummer, a good session drummer and uh, was giving lessons and then john came along and john was kind of the uh, the equipment guy so he would build stuff uh, and together they built this company dw that has a couple hundred employees now build uh, has a great uh, nice plant in oxnard california they're shipping drums all over the world and uh, they've got a quite a famous lineup of drummers now um neil pert, uh, nice neil company, pert yeah. was uh, one of their drummers uh, but they've uh yeah, just uh, uh, just really great people and uh, really down to earth, even though they've got this, you know, conglomerate. And uh, but I think they make the best drums in the world, so uh, it's just really been really fun to get to know them. So if
1: the Beach Boys call, you you would consider it, or Chicago, or you know. Wherever. Yeah, well, you
2: know, I I'd I consider it. Yeah, but you know, they're not going to call because I'm not that good.
1: <laughs> well, I I I, will, I, will, I, am I there, right? you. I, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna market you a little bit here. We'll see if we can do it. Yeah. Something for you. So uh, our next question: What's the what's your favorite book right now to read? And and what would you recommend for people to read?
2: Oh, that's a good one. Well, uh, can I grab it off of my shelf? Sure. Yeah. Grab it. So, want to get the name right?
1: He's got books in his background and I have coins patches and t-shirts yes. and a, a sign that says, check your poop. So
2: I, I, tell you. Well, I, I, I'm a really big fan of Mitch Album, uh, and Malcolm Gladwell, but Mitch Album's latest book is called, uh, the stranger in the Life bulb. And I just read it and, uh, He's just an exceptional writer, uh, but uh, it's it's really a good book.
0: What's and, the What's the central theme? What's that? What's the central theme of that that one?
2: Um, hope. Yeah, it's really about hope. Perfect. He wrote his other book
1: was that that Mitch wrote was um, is it Five People You Meet in Heaven? Is that his book? Yeah.
2: Uh, Tuesdays, Tuesdays with Maury, Tuesdays with Maury, really, really, really good uh, book. Uh, It's Finding Chica Uh, was uh, very, very powerful. And it's about a personal experience uh, that uh, he and his wife went through. And uh, yeah, it's a very good book.
1: So if someone needs a little uplifting, grab that book. Yeah, he's
2: always, uh, he's always, uh, any of his books are always good. I think Malcolm Gladwell, on the other hand, makes you think uh, a a little bit differently because he's, he's delving into uh, sometimes a little more societal stuff that's a little, a little bit more historic based, but uh, also very good perspective on just, you know, how society works sometimes and doesn't work and, you know, just some unique insights there.
0: Well, sort of related to this theme, you know, we talked about with the Leadership Crucible Foundation and the power of storytelling. So on that theme, I'm curious if you can share with us a story that stands out to you from when you first joined the fire service, maybe a story about an incident uh, that you went on, or even a story you heard that really impacted you at an early stage in your fire service career.
2: Well, I mean, the one that comes to mind is when I when and this this happened to me when I was in the recruit academy, and uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, back in the day, <laughs> recruit academies are still difficult, uh, but I went into the academy in 1979, so it was a little bit different perspective then. Uh, so. It was a multi-agency academy. We were going to Aurora, Colorado, because I was in Fort Collins. There was eight of us from Fort Collins going in. There's like 27, 28 people in the academy. Chief walked in, Wheat walks in, uh, looks around the room, says, uh, well, look around. He said, uh, about eight or 10 of you are not going to be here in uh, 10 weeks. That's all he said, turned around, walked out. And then the battalion chief came in and we were off and running and every week, uh, somebody would disappear. <laughs> they just would be gone <laughs> or they would get called up and said, you know, come to the chief's office and then they wouldn't return. And so about week nine, uh, they called me in and, uh, I, you know, I'm walking down the hallway and I'm thinking, this this must be it. I can't remember what I did wrong, but you know, I, I was already thinking about what am I going to do next. And you know, I'd moved from uh, Nebraska to Colorado to take the job, so uh, you know, I was already processing. Do I go home? Do I just you know what am I going to do? And so they come in, and I must have you know looked like I was going to pass out or something. And she said, "Just sit sit down. You're okay. We're you're not you're not getting let go. Don't worry about it." He said, first thing, you're going to speak at the graduation. So I said, I don't like speaking. He said, well, get over that because you're going to speak. And he said, but what we want to talk to you about today is, he said, you've got a different skill set than we see in most recruits. And he said, I think you have the opportunity to be a chief officer and maybe even a fire chief, he said, because you connect the dots differently than most people. And I said, uh, well, I appreciate that. I'm just trying to get out of here. <laughs> and he said, well, I don't want you to think about it for the first year. But he said, when you get off probation, he said, I want you to start thinking about what you want to be when you grow up because you have that potential. But, uh, he said, if you don't, if you don't use your potential, you'll never get there.
0: Wow. And yeah, I walked
2: out and I'm gone. First of all, I'm glad I'm not getting let go. Yeah, right. and what that, what's that guy talking about? And and so, as I got on the floor and and uh, you know, kind of started talking, my my battalion chief at the time came in about four or five months, and he goes, "Yeah," he said. They told us that you were a little bit different. He said, but uh," he said I didn't want to say anything, but he said I think I think they might be right. He said, you, you're, you asked questions differently. You look at things much differently than most people do. He said, I think uh, you need to think about what you're going to be 10 years from now. And so that's what I did. As soon as I got off probation, I just started, I mapped out. I wanted to be a fire chief, but I knew here's all the steps. Here's the education I'm going to need to get. I had no education when I came into the fire service. So. In 10 years, I had got three degrees, uh, promoted up to battalion chief. And in year, I think, 12 or 13, I went to be the fire chief. So I got to be a fire chief at 34, 35. That would have never happened if they wouldn't have sat down and said, um, you you have potential. And I've seen that. I've interviewed 1,500 firefighters, and I've hired probably 500. Um, and Um, you can see, you can see people that have, that that have it, uh, that have a different perspective and have that drive to do it. And I think that's the other part of it. So, um, the interesting piece of that story when I was, when I was, uh, sworn is, is the, uh, the IFC president, guess who shows up that chief walks up says. Told you so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I mean, kudos to you for seizing on that opportunity. Kudos to them for seeing it and taking that moment to make sure you saw it in yourself. Because, you know, that's a big part of it is building that confidence in someone.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's just amazing
2: yeah and i've and i i've I've taken that to heart uh, as a chief uh when i see talent i will you know pull them aside i've I've told two or three people you have the potential to be a fire chief but you're going to have to get your 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 ducks in a row and you have to get ready to do that if you're going to do it or you can be a chief officer you'll, you'll make a great captain so i think part of leadership is that when you see that uh you encourage people Uh, And share that perspective with them because, uh, you know, oftentimes, uh, especially in the fire service, they get pigeonholed, Uh, especially when they get in the firehouse, man, they get pigeonholed and said, well, you can't promote for eight years. We don't want you to promote for eight years to captain or lieutenant, whatever the rank structure is. I'm going, well, why not? If you've got the talent and the skill set to do it, then go for it. Go, don't don't let somebody tell you that you can't do it. And I've talked to so many brilliant young uh, men and women, and, and I say, why aren't you taking the test? Well, you know, I you know I you know, I've, I, you know I'm not, I've only been on five years, and you know it's usually I don't want to be I want to be on the back seat for eight or ten years. And I go, why would you want to be on the back seat for eight or ten years? That's 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 a thirty-year career, right? you know, move up, make a difference. Yeah, And, but you know, a lot of people they're enculturated that way. Our culture is that way is, you know, they tell you, uh, Aaron, you're not, you can't promote until you, you're, you know, you've been on the job for 10 years, you know, there's a lot of organizations like that and that's terrible. Uh, so thankful to them that they did that. Uh, it just really opened up a, a whole new door for me. I, I never knew. Uh, I mean, again, I, I just, I, I was I started as a volunteer uh, in Nebraska. That's how I got into the and, and that was by fluke. My brother in law asked me if I would just join because they needed help. I wasn't even ever looking I never 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 was looking at the fire service as an option. And then when I got into it I thought, Well, this is this is fun and I'm pretty good at it. So I think I'll try and find a job where I can get paid to do this. <laughs> right. And so Thank
1: God for us you did.
2: Well yeah. Well, so some people would say that others not, <laughs> but, you know, it's part of leadership. So.
0: And that, I love that story because it really shows the, the, how everything comes full circle in a way, because, you know, they asked you, think about your plan. What's your plan in five years, 10 years. And now here you are talking to us about the importance of developing a one year, three year, five year plan and departments, Coming up with their own plan, their strategic vision. And I, I just love that that's kind of the through line through all of this.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's I think it's extremely important. I mean, you, you do not you don't get uh, you don't get to the top of the mountain unless you've got a game plan to do it. And, and uh, you don't win the Super Bowl unless you have a game plan, you know, or, or the NBA championship. No, nothing happens good without a plan unless you're just extremely extremely lucky and in our, in our profession, extremely lucky usually doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And in and, and most professions, I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to have a game plan and a strategy and whether that's for yourself or for your organization, if you're going to be successful. Uh, and it gets back to, if you're in your own comfort zone, and if you just want to ride on the backseat until you're 63 years old, uh, then that's your choice. But that may not have been the path that you you could have taken if you would have actually created a, a plan for yourself because you know I've, I've seen a lot of great people limit themselves. and that's that's unfortunate.
1: Perfect. Well said. Thank you so much for being here. You can hear more of Chief Brugman at the Leadership crucible You can email Janelle and I at Better Every Shift at fire Rescue one.com if you have questions comments Um, and please rate and review the show you can also if you're listening to this you can watch us on youtube and on firerescue1.com but most importantly everyone make sure that you learn something do something and share something to make you and those around you better every shift thanks for listening everybody
0: when safety is top priority you need more than a radio Meet the XL Extreme 400P tailor-made to meet the most rigorous fire standards. This radio withstands blasts of heat up to 1,700 degrees and repeated three-meter drops. Filled with material from both their space division and their tactical comms, this is one tough radio you're going to need. Schedule your demo today. Visit www.l3harris.com forward slash contact hyphen us.